Good morning, church. Good morning. morning. Happy New Year. I hope you've had a great couple of weeks celebrating with family and friends, celebrating Christmas and New Year's. Um, I know Dustin has already announced it, but I just want to encourage y'all, come next week as we celebrate the one-year anniversary of this church. That's going to be an exciting time for us to come, really to do two things, right? We're looking back at the faithfulness of God over the past year. I mean, you think about those of you who have been around even since launch team or, or since January, doesn't the church look different? Things have changed, and that is glory to God. And so we're going to celebrate those things. But y'all, we're also looking forward, recognizing that the mission's not over, right? The mission of this church is not a year long. And so we're going to look back and we're going to look forward together. And I love that we're going to celebrate next week. And I also love where we are in this series, this three-week series before we launch into Ecclesiastes. We're talking about the marathon mindset, and we're looking in 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is week two of the series. Dustin's going to wrap it up next week, but we're just talking about, hey, it's a one-year anniversary of our church. We're, we're kind of celebrating a milestone, but the mission's not done. It's not a one-year mission. It is a lifelong mission. And that truth is rooted in the reality that God is worth your whole life. God is not worth a, a, a year of your life. He's not worthy of a season of your life. He is worthy of every breath in my body. And so if I'm going to run this race, he deserves to be the goal of my entire life. And so to study that kind of idea, we're looking at Paul's final charge to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Our uh, passage today is 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. And the message is entitled this morning, Tag Your It. Tag Your It. We get the title of our uh, series from this marathon mindset idea from what Paul will say next week. And when we look in a later part of 2 Timothy chapter 4, he's going to say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And we pray that that would be the story of Connection Church Athens, that we would run the race that God has given us. Now, I'll be honest with you guys. I'm not much of a runner. I don't like to run. If you've got a ball and some green grass and you want to play a game or compete or a sport, I'll play all day long. But there's something about running that just feels incredibly pointless to me. Anybody else want to just agree? Sweet. A lot of hands. Some of you, maybe you're an avid runner here today. And what I say in the next few minutes may offend you just a little bit. But I'm telling you, I'm not a runner. Now, I have tried to be a runner. I have tried three or four times unsuccessfully in my life to become a runner. Can I tell you how those attempts normally go? Usually I decide the day before I run that tomorrow I'm going to run, right? Psych yourself up. I like that language. I was going to say I become a coach in my head. Same thing. I like it. Motivational coach in my head. I think, man, tomorrow I'm going to get up and run. It's going to be phenomenal. I'm going to feel so great. I'm going to work out. Going to be awesome. I start saying, you know, catchphrases like Nike, just do it. Tomorrow's the next day of your, the rest of your life. You say all these different things. And so you set yourself up for success, set my alarm a little bit earlier so I can go run. I put my running shoes by the door because for some reason I think I'm going to forget where they are in the morning. And then perhaps the most important part of, of running at all is the playlist, Right, So you get on Spotify and you set your running playlist so you can get your blood pumping in the morning. Alarm goes off and I'm feeling really good. I've psyched myself up and the motivational coach is doing his job. I'm ready to go. I grab my running shoes that are conveniently placed by the door and I head out down the road. And for about, let's say the first 40 yards, I feel pretty good. And I start thinking, 
I'm the embodiment of everything that is good and healthy and athletic in this world. First 40 yards go pretty well. And I start thinking about 40 yards down the road. I think, I wonder if I'll experience that phenomenon that many runners talk about. Have you ever heard a runner talk about the runner's high before? Right? If a runner is really skilled and really trained, as they run for a long period of time, their brain allegedly explodes with endorphins and they feel really, really good because of their exercise. Church, I'm here to confess to you today, my brain does not work this way. I've never experienced a runner's high, but I have experienced another phenomenon that I would call the runner's low. Has anybody ever experienced the runner's low before? I get an embarrassingly short distance from the house, and I feel this overwhelming, horrific combination of nausea, dizziness, lightheadedness, aching, shaking, sweating. Stop right there, I call Olivia and she comes and picks me up. (laughs) I'm not gonna be a runner, and you're never gonna see 26.2 on the back of my car, I'm just telling you. And that's okay, that's okay. But we have all been called to run a race. And this race is not a marathon, 26 miles. It is a race for the glory of God. And Dustin talked last week in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and he talked about if we're going to run this race, we've got to be committed to the Word of God. Do you remember that last week? 2 Timothy 3.16 is kind of the the flag or the, the banner verse for that. This idea that if we're going to run this race, we've got to be committed to the Word of God. And, and it is a marathon mission. I just want to throw kind of maybe one more idea on top of that idea this morning. Yes, the mission of God is like a marathon, but I just want to kind of show you it's also like a relay race. The mission of God is like a marathon, but it's also like a relay race. Y'all know the relay race, right? The relay race is an event that is accomplished by a team. No one runner can complete the relay on their own. Only the run, one runner can run his portion of the race, carrying what? Carrying a baton, right? And the exchange is very, very important in a relay race, how you receive that baton and how you pass it on to someone else. The mission of God, the Great Commission, the gospel, is a generational mission. It started with Jesus, and it has come to us today because people have passed the gospel baton to the next generation. We have a lot to be thankful for because the people who have come before us who have been faithful to the gospel missions. And sitting here today, we recognize that the gospel baton has been handed to us. It is, the mission of God is like a marathon. It's also like a relay race. The first person to hand that baton was Jesus. The resurrected Christ said in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus rose from the grave and he looked at his disciples. He looked at his apostles. He said, tag, you're it. I'm going to the Father. I'll be with you always. I'll empower you for this mission, but it's your turn. You run the race that I have laid out for you. Jesus tagged the disciples. Now, Paul was not there when Jesus gave this great commission, but God did tag Paul at the road to Damascus, and he charged Paul to preach to the Gentiles. And 2 Timothy chapter 4 is one of the coolest places in the New Testament because we see Paul, who had been tagged by Jesus to run this race, writes a letter to a young church leader in Ephesus named Timothy, 
And this letter, the purpose of this letter is to tag Timothy, to say, Timothy, tag, you're it. When Paul wrote 2 Timothy, he was in prison. He knew his life was about to end. He knew that he was going to be with the Father. And he wrote this letter to charge Timothy to be faithful to the mission even after he was gone. And church, this charge that Paul gave to Timothy is the word of God. And I believe it is our charge today. Will you read with me 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5? I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires." And turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that we have this record of Paul tagging Timothy, of saying, hey, it's your turn to run. Father, I pray, God, you would guide us into your truth this morning. You would protect us from error and misunderstanding. Father, you give me the words to speak. Lord, I pray that each one of us would walk out of here today recognizing that we have a race to run for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This is Paul's charge to Timothy. This is the climax of the whole letter. Paul's saying, hey, I charge you, preach the word. We're going to study uh, this passage this morning, go back through it. I've got seven points, and I decided I would not do that to the production team, so the points will not be up on the screen. So if you're taking notes, I promise we'll go slowly. I'll repeat them a couple of times as we go. But I want us to just go back through this passage to describe the type of race we are called to run. As we study this passage, we're really going to look in two other places in Scripture. The first one, we'll look at the Great Commission a lot, because I want to show you that Jesus' charge to the disciples is very similar to Paul's charge to Timothy. And then we'll also look in 2 Timothy earlier in the letter, because many of the themes that Paul talks about in this passage, he's already addressed some of them as he's been writing to Timothy. There were three chapters before this charge, and so we're going to look at some of that context as well. Seven points about the type of race that we're called to run. The first point is we run in the presence of Christ. First, we run in the presence of Christ. Getting this from verse one, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Paul prefaces his charge. Before he gives the charge to Timothy, before he tags Timothy, he gives us a little bit of an introduction, and it talks about the character and the nature of God. What is Paul doing here? He's showing us, hey, this charge that I'm about to give you, this command I'm about to give you has weight, not because Paul was saying it, but because it is a command of God. Our mission is given to us by God. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Paul's got to establish the authority here. Who's the authority for our mission? It's God. Jesus did the exact same thing when he gave the Great Commission. Before he said the charge, which was go make disciples, he said all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Before he makes the charge, makes the command, he tells us who is making this command. And Jesus gives the weight to this charge. This is not Paul just calling Timothy, saying, hey, come join my nonprofit. 
right? That's not what's going on here. That's not the mission. This is Paul in the presence of God charging Timothy to carry on the redemptive plan of God. A lot of times we refer to the whole story of the Bible as the missio Dei, the mission of God. Because even in the Old Testament, it wasn't the mission of Moses, right? In the New Testament, it wasn't the mission of Paul. And today, it's not the mission of me. It's the mission of God. We must never forget that we run in the presence of God. And we talked about this several times uh, through the book of Acts. But God pours out his presence on people that he wants to empower, right? And this mission is something that I can't do on my own. But God's presence is poured out to empower us to do the mission. And we talked about this in Acts, right? Jesus said, lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And then he ascended into heaven. Kind of doesn't make sense. But at Pentecost, he poured out his presence. He poured out his power on the apostles. And he empowered them for this mission. Paul's reminding Timothy that when we run, we run in the presence of Christ. Application for us today. Never divorce God's presence from your purpose. Never divorce God's presence from your purpose. If you have not been through Heart and Soul, which is our four-week membership class, I, I challenge you and urge you, plead with you, if you call Connection Church Athens, you need to go through Heart and Soul and listen to what we expect of you as a church. I think it's a great way for you to hold us accountable and for us to hold you accountable. But one of the things we talk about is that God wants all of you. He wants your head, he wants your heart, and he wants your hands. I know that's not all of you, but those are just three key areas of your life, your intellect, your emotions, and your, what you do, your, your service. And I think sometimes if we divorce our purpose from the presence of God, what we're doing is we're giving God our hands and we're not giving him our heart. And we think, oh, all I've got to do to be good, all that I've got to do is to run a good race, is to show up and serving kids, neglecting the most important part of that is a relationship with Almighty God. God didn't die for me so that I'd play bass this morning. He died for me so I'd be in relationship with him. He doesn't need me to play bass. He doesn't need me to serve him. And so we must remember, y'all, we run in the presence of God. And I challenge you, church, do not serve him and neglect the relationship with him. Secondly, we run for a kingdom. First, we run in the presence of God. Second, we run for a kingdom. Paul said, I saw me charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, we run for a kingdom. And so running this race that God has laid out for us is, is to have a kingdom mindset. And at the heart of the kingdom mindset is recognizing that we run for something so much bigger than ourselves. I think about Olympic athletes, especially track and field. When they get done with the race, if you ever seen an Olympic runner go to the stands, grab their nation's flag, and wrap themselves in their nation's colors? If you ask me to name 50 NFL players, I could do it, no problem. If you ask me to name 50 Olympians, I don't know if I could do it. Many of us, when we talk about Olympians, we don't talk about their names. We talk about what country they're from. We talk about their kingdom. Did you see that guy from Norway last night? Man, did you see that girl from China? Man, did you see what that guy from America did? We talk about people not based on their individual identity. We talk about the kingdom they run for. Because when you become an Olympian, you're running for something so much bigger than yourselves. And when we look at those people, we don't see their identity. We see the kingdom they run for. I wonder when people look at my life, do they say Liam's running for something bigger than himself? Or do they say he's running for something exactly the same size 
as himself. We're called to run for a kingdom so that my individual identity will be secondary, that people won't first think of Liam as a pretty cool guy or a successful person, but they will think of him as a servant, as an ambassador, Paul says, for the kingdom of God. We run for the kingdom of God. Herb Brooks, some of you probably know that name. He was the Olympic US hockey coach in 1980 who coached the Miracle Team, probably one of the most iconic moments in US history as far as the Olympics goes. The team knocked off the Russians with the amateur young US hockey players. And he said this, he said, when you put on that jersey, the name on the front becomes much more important than the name on the back. It's a good, good quote. The kingdom, the country, becomes more important than my name. We run for a kingdom. We run in the presence of God. We run for a kingdom. Third, we run preaching the word. We run preaching the word in verse two. This is the main charge, the central charge that Paul gives Timothy. He says, preach the word. Paul establishes the authority. He says, we, we're talking about this in the presence of God. The one who has all authority is going to judge the living and the dead, his appearing, his kingdom. But I'm calling you, I need you to preach the word. Jesus in the Great Commission, his central charge was to make disciples. Right? Jesus said, make disciples. Paul says, preach the word. And I want to show you that they're really kind of the same. They're really very much the same command. Last week, Dustin read... Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, which says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Liam Hardy, paraphrase of that verse reads, all scripture is profitable for making disciples. In fact, I would go further to say that the only way I'm going to make disciples, the only way Connection Church Athens is going to make disciples is to preach the word. We're called to train people up for righteous living. How are we going to do that? The only answer is God's word. Paul holds up God's word as the only tool that will effectively make disciples. Paul's saying make disciples, and he's just giving us a little hint as to how. Some people believe that as Paul wrote to Timothy, Timothy was very, very young. He was kind of too young for this job. You ever seen somebody just kind of walk in and you're like, okay, you're a little too young to be doing that. You know, I think, it, I think we all kind of feel that sometimes. Timothy was really young. Some people think it was fearful. Because in 2 Timothy, Paul wrote, God did not give you a spirit of fear. God gave you a spirit of discipline, a sound mind. Some people believe that, that Paul knew that Timothy struggled with sin on a regular basis. And that's why he says, pursue youthful lust. Or excuse me, run away from youthful lust. Excuse me. Backspace. Can we take that out of the YouTube video? Sweet. <laughs> Flee youthful lust and pursue <laughs> righteousness and love. This is what he called Timothy to do. And Paul knew if Timothy was even going to stand a chance as a church leader in Ephesus, he was going to have to preach the word. Church, I believe that Connection Church Athens' success as a church will be directly correlated to our commitment to God's word. We can't come up with a new way to do it. We have to be founded on the word. And we're called to run preaching the word. And I think so many of us hear that and we think that's a call for me and that's a call for Dustin, for someone who's called to preach. No, it's not true. 
We run preaching the word, and that's a call for each one of us. Does that mean that you have to have the whole entire scriptures memorized? No. Does that mean that you have to know all the answers? Absolutely not. Because the older I get, the more I realize I will never even come close to knowing all the answers. But y'all, we are called as followers of Christ to be witnesses to the resurrection. And this means using God's word to interject God's truth into a lost and dying world. Paul knew that if Timothy was going to be fruitful, he would have to stand on the word. And the same is true for us today. Fourth, we run in every season. We run in the presence of God. We run for kingdom. We run preaching the word. And fourth, we run in every season. Second, or excuse me, verse two, he says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Just thinking about this idea, and we've got the idea of running a marathon kind of in our minds this morning, but, but not even just in sports, in anything in life, great performance is the result of even better preparation, right? We've been taught that from a young age, right? I'm not just saying things that have popped into my head as we go about the morning. I spent time on this sermon before the 11 o'clock hour. The band has never gotten up here and played a song that we didn't practice before. Not many college students here today, but hopefully those students are sending their paper into the writing center or having somebody check it before they turn into a professor. But probably not. (laughs) The way it goes. If you are in a job and you're writing a report or giving a presentation, you, you want somebody to check it. You want to prepare for that, for that presentation. Paul, earlier in this letter, he talks about the kind of preparation that we should have as followers of Christ to to run this race. And it's in 2 Timothy 2.15. I just want to read this to you quickly. It says, be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Paul tells us about what kind of preparation we need to have, that, that we might stand kind of certified or verified as somebody who's approved by God to do the work of God. And the, there's one requirement. It's accurately handle the word of truth. And I think that's such a good description of what all of our lives should be. Again, the ability to preach the word, to be ready, to prepare, not having all the answers down, but be able to accurately handle the word of truth that you might be able to open this book, lead people to the living waters of God's word. Be ready in season and out of season. We've talked about this before, but in season times are right now. As we sit in church, this is in season. This is, uh, this is an easy time to open God's word. But, but y'all, many times fruitful ministry happens out of season. Um, for instance, I've been in, in youth ministry for a number of years, and I've never seen a kid come to Christ on a Wednesday night. Never once. I may be doing something wrong. I don't know. Never seen a kid come to Christ on a Wednesday night. I have seen a kid come to Christ in a stairwell. I've seen a kid come to Christ sitting on a concrete bench in front of a bonfire. I've seen a kid come to Christ sitting in a hallway. I've seen a kid come to Christ sitting on a trampoline. Out of season moments. And and so there's something, y'all, a lot of times that fruitful ministry happens in out of season places. And in those places, I did not tell that person my opinion. I opened this book and led them to the truth of God's word. And that is not just a call for me. That is a call for all of us. Because you know people I don't know. You're going to be in situations that I'm not going to be in. You're going to be sitting in a hospital with somebody one day, and they need you to lead them to this word. 
You're gonna, you may be in a gas station one day and somebody needs to be led to this word. Y'all, this is what it means to be the body of Christ and to run the race. I can't run your race. I'm not going to be where you are. You don't need to call me. Don't, don't call, please don't call me and be like, hey, I need Liam to come and preach the message to him. Y'all, that's your responsibility. We're all called to preach the word. We want to help you. We want to raise you up. Do the work that God has called you to do. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reminds me of what Paul said in Ephesians 5, 15, and 16. Be very careful how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. We're called to be ready in season and out of season. Fifth, we run with patience. Fifth, we run with patience. In verse 2, let me just read it again. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Paul gives us a lot of uses for Scripture. This is what we use Scripture to do. 2 Timothy 3.16, he kind of does the same thing. Do you remember that? If you turn back one page, he says, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for these uses. And then when he charges Timothy, he gives essentially the same list of uses. He's saying, hey, Scripture is good for this. What I'm calling you to do is accurately use Scripture to do those things. You're young, you're inexperienced, but you have the authority through the power of God in God's word to rebuke somebody, to exhort somebody. And all these things, he says, you have got to do these things with patience. In the Greek, patience modifies every other word. So we could read it this way. He says, preach the word in verse two, patiently reprove, patiently rebuke, patiently exhort, patiently instruct. We're called to do all of those things patiently And ministry is a different type of work than so many other different types of work, right? If you build a house, you can see progress very easily. Or if you sell a product, you can look at the numbers and kind of quantitatively track your progress, right? But ministry is different. And teachers, I know you guys know this too, but when you're working on somebody's internal progress, you don't see it right away right? And some people, it just clicks, and they're night and day different in just a couple of days. But some people, y'all, we pray for for years, and you do not see the progress. And it's very, very hard to be patient. And what Paul's saying here is you've got to use the word, and you've got to be patient. We talk a lot in church about the fruit of the Spirit, patience, and how good it is. But just quickly, I just want to make a thought, have a thought of Impatience is very dangerous because impatience, I believe, especially in ministry, it reveals a lack of faith. It reveals a lack of faith for when I start to get impatient about God working in somebody's life, what I'm saying essentially, without even saying it, is that I don't believe that the word of God can actually change this person. Do I understand? I think, oh, the word doesn't work. We've preached the word. I've preached all this good stuff to this person. I've taught this person everything, and they're still not getting it. Maybe I need to try something else. Impatience reveals a lot of times a lack of faith. Say, hey, look, God, you've got to change this person. I'm just going to continue faithfully, patiently working at this. Father, would you change them? I got online, and I typed in in Google how to run a marathon. And a bunch of like runner websites come up and runner blogs. And the first tip that most of the websites give you is be patient. Be patient. There will be good days. There will be bad days. There will be breakthroughs and there will be setbacks. But the goal you're setting before you is such a big, audacious goal 
that you've got to be patient and not give up. And we're called to do the same as we preach the word. We run with patience. Sixth, we run through abandonment. We run through abandonment. I'm going to give the first six points one more time just so that if anybody's taking notes and doesn't have them. First, we run in the presence of God. We run for a kingdom. Third, we run preaching the word. Fourth, we run in every season. Fifth, we run with patience. And sixth, we run through abandonment. And we see this in verses three and four. And Paul's tone changes. First verse, he sets up the authority of Christ. He gives us the charge, and that is to preach the word. And then he tells us about a future persecution that is coming for Timothy in verses three and four. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Paul says, hey, I want you to be patient with these people. I want you to pour out your life to these people. I want you to preach the word to these people, but I'm just telling you, some of them are going to abandon you. Some of them are just going to turn away from the truth of God's word. A couple of thoughts here. The first one is I want you to notice how Paul contrasts the type of teaching of Timothy and scripture to the teaching of false doctrine. In verse three, he says, they will not endure, my Bible says sound doctrine. They won't endure sound doctrine. That word sound there is the Greek word hygieneuses. We'll try that, which is where we get our English word hygiene. Comes from the where we get for hygiene. And so what Paul's saying here is this kind of doctrine from scripture, my truth, God's truth, it's clean, it's pure, it produces growth, it produces health. It's God's truth. It's hygienic doctrine. But then he tells us in the same verse about the type of doctrine that the false teachers will teach. He says that the, the people who, who reject sound doctrine, they just want their ears tickled. And so they go and find people who will say essentially whatever you want to hear. They're looking for teachers in accordance with their own desires. Paul tells us about these kind of false teachers earlier in the letter. 2 Timothy 1.15, he writes, you are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia have turned away from me. Uh, those who first of whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. And then 2 Timothy 2.17, he describes the false teaching. He says their teaching will spread like gangrene. Paul's giving us a really vivid picture here. He says the truth of God's word is hygienic, but the lies of false teaching, it spreads like gangrene, and it's an infectious disease that will destroy the church. And we're called to preach this sound, hygienic, healthy doctrine. I think it's interesting here, the way he, he describes of these people as they turn away, he says they will not endure the sound doctrine. And what that tells me immediately is, y'all, if we are committed to the word, that means we have to have endurance in hearing the word. And what that means for everybody sitting out here today and for myself, y'all, because I get convicted through the week as you're preparing for a message, but we have to endure sound doctrine, right? Vody Bakum, I heard say one time, he said, sometimes you're sitting in church and you can't say amen, so you might as well just say ouch, right? Because sometimes the truth of God's word hurts. It's like getting a cut on your arm and pouring hydrogen peroxide into your arm. It stings, but it cleans you makes it hygienic. 
That's what we're called to do as followers of Christ, y'all. And there's grace. There's grace there. I believe there's so much grace for the person who humbly receives the word of God, who sits there and says, this is going to hurt, <laughs> but I want to hear it. I need to hear it because this is where life is. But y'all, we're called, so many of us, to endure sound doctrine. That means when we're sitting here and we hear something we don't like, we hear something that sounds a little bit radical, we need to sit there and say, God, this is a place in my heart that I need to be transformed, that I need to become more like you. Paul says these people will abandon Timothy because they will not endure sound doctrine. This isn't a personal issue. It's not a clash of personalities. It's a spiritual issue and a spiritual conflict because they are rejecting not only Timothy, they're rejecting God. They're rejecting the truth of God's word. Paul knew about this kind of abandonment. He tells us in the letter that he was abandoned. There were people who were following Paul when things were going well and he was free, but as soon as he was arrested, people abandoned him. They wanted to follow Christ while things were going good. And they left Paul when things turned sour. People were rejecting Paul as well. Got to run through abandonment. And I love verse 5. Now he talks about running through abandonment. Notice what he says in verse five. He says, but you, but you. We're talking about other people in verses three and four. Verse five comes and he says, but you, but you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. What is he saying? He's saying, look, you're gonna pour yourself out. You're gonna preach the word. You're gonna be patient with these people, but some of them are going to reject the truth of God's word, and they're gonna go find false teachers who are gonna tell them what they want to hear, but don't let the gangrene get you, but you, you keep running. You don't care about those people. You don't pay attention to those other people. You keep running. People rejecting God's word. The culture rejecting God's word is not an excuse for us to stop running. Y'all, we gotta keep going. He says, but you. One of the things that I thought was interesting as you study about running a marathon, and earlier I said that running for me, I think is so pointless. And uh, I think that's because I like to compete with other people. And so I wanna play a game. But maybe you've heard this before. People say running is a different kind of sport because you're not competing against someone else. A lot of times you're competing against Y'all you know, believe the marathon that we're called to run. We, 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 do, not, we do struggle um, with spiritual forces, but it's a fight against me. It's a fight against myself. Paul says, but you. You run. You be sober, and you fulfill your ministry. He gives them several little commands there at the end. They're so important. Be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And my final point just comes from that last one, this idea of fulfilling your ministry. Seventh, we run a course already charted. We run a course already charted in verse five. And I just wanna spend a little time as we close thinking about the sovereignty of God. Think about the sovereignty of God in every part of this race. I think of the verse in Ephesians 2.10 that says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And Paul says to Timothy in this passage, he says, fulfill your ministry. He does not say, go out and build your ministry. Go out and create your ministry. He doesn't say, go out and manage your ministry. He says, go fulfill it. Time I use that word a lot in, uh, in my languages in everyday life is when I worked at Chick-fil-A. We would talk about fulfilling or filling orders, right? People would, would order a meal and we would just put it in the bag 
And that was what we were called to do. And Paul says, I need you to fulfill your ministry. God has created you, he's redeemed you, and he's empowered you, and he has set out works for you to do. He has set a race for you to run, and we're called just to fulfill it. And every step of obedience is running a race that God has already called us to do. I'm thankful that we're a year into Connection Church Athens, but y'all, before Dustin was even born, God had charted out the course of this church. Do you believe that? He knew it was coming. He didn't think, oh, wow, new church, cool. He knew it was coming. He knew it was coming, and we run a race already charted. You're here for a reason, and next year, God has something for you to do today, tomorrow. He's got something for you to do, and what's so cool is he already knows what it is, and he has, he has created you for that purpose. I don't run in uncharted territory. I run the race that God has already called me to run. Just kind of putting this all together, this kind of race, I want to show you the only other time in scripture that that word fulfill is translated the same way or in a very similar way. And it's later in this passage, Paul tells us about his life and his ministry. Would you look with me at 2 Timothy 4, 16 through 18? 2 Timothy 4, 16 through 18. Paul finishes giving his um, charge and he talks a little bit about his life and he talks a little bit about some, some, some introductions or some greetings that he wants Timothy to do. But notice what he says at Verse 16, remember Paul was imprisoned. He was on trial. We studied that in Acts, how he was in Rome. He says this, at my first defense, verse 16, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me, the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Paul was tagged on the road to Damascus. God said, hey, tag, you're it. I need you to run a race. And Paul had some parameters. He knew a little bit of a direction of where he was going to go, and he was supposed to preach to the Gentiles. But then you think about what happens in Acts. He's arrested and he's on trial and he's being passed around to all these leaders. And, and, and you know, part of him was saying, God, how am I going to do the mission if I'm in jail? It's hard to do. It's doubt. Told in Acts that the Lord stood by him and said, you're going to fulfill your mission. You're going to fulfill it. Notice that word here. It says in verse 17, mine says that, the, that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed that I might be able to fulfill my orders. Y'all, Paul was not doing this on his own. God stood with him in every turn. And even when everybody else had abandoned him, God was still empowering him to run the race that he called him to run. Probably didn't look like the way Paul thought it would look, but the message, the mission got done because God was in control even when Paul was arrested. So we see that this mission is ultimately the work of God. I run my race and I'm faithful and I get to the end and I say, I did what I needed to do. It's not a cause of boasting for me. It's a cause of worship because we run for the glory of God. Same God who stood with Paul and empowered him to fulfill this mission and finish this race is with us today. So church, just in closing, I want to say to you, tag, you're it. 
I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. They will turn their ears away from the truth and they will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. You've been tagged. Two points of application. How should we live out this charge? First one, y'all, in the presence of Christ, I, I urge you and I challenge you, lay your life out before the Father as a blank check. God, what have you called me to do? Father, I believe that you have already charted a race for me to run. I believe you've prepared good works for me to do in my generation for your glory. What are those? Or what's my first step of being? Don't ask me. Don't go to the green tent looking for God's mission. Get on your knees before the Father. Get in his word and say, Lord, what do you require of me? Second way we can live out this charge, y'all. Who in your life has God put in your path so that you can pass the gospel baton to them? that you can say, tag, you're it. For many of you, y'all, if you have kids, the first and obvious answer is your children. That one day, Jamie will look at AJ and say, tag, you're it. One day, son, I'm not gonna be around, and you need to keep running this race. Y'all, this is what we're called to do, to be faithful. Handing that baton to our children. Maybe it's somebody at work. Maybe it's not a generational passing of the baton, but just a relational passing. Someone your own age that you know that you can say, Come run this race with me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray, God, now that we've heard what you expect of us, God, you would give us the strength to run. Lord, we, we recognize that you have done everything. You've created us, you've redeemed us, Lord. You've forgiven us, and you just call us to run. And Lord, we're not running a, a new course, God. We're just running what you called us to do. So Lord, I pray you just give us the wisdom to see what that is and take that first step of obedience, God. I pray for the future of this church, God. And we recognize church health is just each one of us running that race in community. So Father, I pray, Lord, that you would be in the, the body this year, God, that you would empower these people to run for your glory and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You guys are dismissed.